As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 154, playoff episode number 12. It's Tuesday, October 13th. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, Britt Giroli. To be honest, I actually don't know what day it is anymore when we record or even between recordings or when I'm watching a game. No clue what day it is. I know Sundays are clear because there's a lot of football on starting at noon my time. Otherwise, couldn't tell you what day it is because I'm just dizzy and confused, but I'm enjoying it because there's good baseball each and every day. Uh, we saw game two of the ALCS. We're going to start there today. Manuel Margot was the story. Not only did he hit a big home run in that game, but he also made probably the catch of the postseason. I think we could probably say that that versus Cody Bellinger's catch in the last round is a fair toss-up, and I think Margot surviving his catch is probably a, a testament to some kind of miracle or something. I don't know how he didn't come away with an injury today, but uh, but he did it. Yeah, did he get concussion protocol, I wonder? Because just the way that happened, like, that was my first reaction, I guess. Yeah, Willie Adamas said in the Zooms that he, that Margot was bleeding. Yeah. Um, and that he was really worried for him. And then I guess they apparently went into the, uh, into the not the clubhouse, but like up the, up the, up the tunnel a little bit. And somebody asked Kevin Cash afterwards in the Zoom, like, you know, was he going to come out of the game? And Kevin Cash was like, no, he wasn't. No, he was not coming out of the game. <laughs> so oh, I think unclear <laughs> if they Cash. did the concussion protocol. Unclear, like, what is wrong with Margo? But he definitely, that was uh, a really nice catch. Reminded me a little bit of Eloy Jimenez's catch in the Futures game in the same place. But this one was even more because there's more on the line just, you know, balls to the wall, like went over the wall and topsy-turvy and legs up in the air and just a beautiful, beautiful play. Yeah. I mean, was it as good of a catch as the Cody Bellinger catch? No, I think it was better. How many times do you see a guy literally flip over a wall or into the stands, right? You, you, you don't really see that. They were both huge moments, but, uh, you know, what, what's interesting to me and um, you know, you've been on all the Ray Zooms, but what a great story Margot is. I mean, 
His dad died of COVID, which I didn't know. His rental car, like, set ablaze with his family inside of it. And they had to pull his kids out. Like, talk about a guy. I mean, we could talk all day long about catch probability. Like, talk about a guy who has been through some stuff to now be on this big stage on a small market team that no one's really paid attention to until now to hit the home run and to have that catch. I mean, it's just awesome. This is why I love the postseason, right? I I really had no idea about him at all until today. Like I knew he existed. I knew he played on the Rays. Uh, but this is why I love the postseason is you see these like random guys and, and Tampa Bay is obviously full of them. And then you learn more about them. And now you're like, damn, I'm a Margot fan for life. I don't care where he go. I'm behind Margot, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Been waiting to use that. (laughs) Yeah, that, uh, that was pretty legendary. The, you know, it's funny too, because he has, he wasn't that good and he hasn't ever been league average with a bat. Um, but, uh, you know, I think they just took him because Kiermaier is, is kind of falling off a little bit. And if you look at Margot against lefties, um, he is above average. So I think that they just kind of bought him to be a platoon center fielder. And, uh, you know, they bought two of those with Renfro and him. And just, you know, they hoped that, that maybe one of them would be would be a, a full-time guy. I didn't think Margot would be the guy that would get, get more playing time than Renfro. I didn't think Margot would hit a big home run. And I didn't think Margot would hit a big home run off a righty um, you know, as is supposedly better against lefties. I didn't think he would hit a big home run off of Lance McCullers, and I did not think he would hit a big home run off of Lance McCullers, who was in the middle of shoving. Yeah. I, yeah, I feel bad for... I really feel bad. Yeah, Charlie Morton after the game was like, no, he pitched better. It's like, he was good. <laughs> I don't know. I just got lucky. He's like, my teammates picked me up. You know, if you Fair. look at Charlie Morton, there's like, there's a, there's like four or five hundred and five plus... Uh, balls that he allowed in terms of exit velocity. But one thing that was a little bit interesting, all the hardest hit balls had single digit launch angles mm. or less. So, uh, you know, he broke the sinker out more. I, I, I thought Charlie Morton was underrating himself. He does that. He's he's a really nice guy and he, he doesn't overrate himself at the very least. But uh, I thought that, that using the two-seamer today was brilliant. He used a lot of the two-seamer for called strikes um, and he got two today called strikeouts on the two seamer on the front door two seamer. He hadn't done that in two years. He had he had zero in the last two years. Yeah, I mean Derek's Astros now are in big trouble here. <laughs> I'm gonna call them Derek's Astros because for those of you tuning in, <laughs> Derek predicted that the Astros would win. We on this show, of course, do not gloat at all um, about <laughs> because... when people are wrong. <laughs> Lest they expose our wrongnesses in the past. Then <laughs> no we one look at my bracket. <laughs> Let's keep in mind that I have run a fantastic reverse jinx with my predictions to this point. So maybe I'm just harnessing the power that I've recently discovered and doing it for the greater good. So you're welcome. But Lance McCullers did pitch really well. 20 swinging strikes, 11 Ks. He threw 100 pitches. A late home run that he gave up to Mike Zanino was kind of the one tactical decision that I wasn't sure about because he was up in the high 90s with his pitch count at the time that that happened. That put the Rays up 4-1. As we saw how the game came to an end, Like the Astros had a chance to actually 
make this really interesting, and they still do. I think they could still reel off four in a row. Come on, I said Astros in six. I'm sticking by it, but uh, (laughs) this was the kind of game you have to win. If you get a performance like that from Lance McCullers, where you only use one reliever, Andre Scrub came on and threw one inning, so he protected the bullpen. You're probably going to need a lot of relievers with Urquidy going in game three. This set you up really well, bullpen-wise. If you're Houston, you had a chance against Nick Anderson, and you didn't capitalize, so it's absolutely a huge missed opportunity for the Astros in this series, given the performance of McCullers. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, you said this, I think, yesterday that in game one that the Astros had the best game they could imagine and they still lost. And oh, I was man, thinking about that today because they did it again. Like, Lance yeah. McCullers was great. I'm glad you brought up Anderson DVR because he looked human. They loaded the bases. They had chances. And we can all agree that home run by Margot was great. But it was only set up because Jose Altuve had like the yips after making mm. no errors all year. I think Jason Stark, the great Jason Stark, had a a great stat. I think it was 194 or something like that. Jeez. Throwing chances. Then he makes pretty much two in within the span of you know several minutes. It felt like Wait, I don't. I want to parse this for a second. Do you think that Yuli Gurriel had nothing to do with that? No, that I thought he. Sh- I I thought. See, I I wonder. It wasn't I, a good stretch. Yeah, I've long thought this. Why is it only one person who gets an error on a bad play? If that both could guys be a team are at error. Fault. Yeah, that was not like G-Man Choi was was flashing glove brilliance today, doing a lot of stretching. Uh, he does the splits. I do not. And uh, Yuli Gurriel did not look like he does the splits. He did no. not 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 flash the same sort of ability. Um, but, uh, you know, another thing I was thinking about when I was looking at, um, McCullers and Morton today was, uh, you know, going into this McCullers was like at the end of the season, he stopped throwing the change up. Here are the, the final five starts, four starts of the season. He had 11% change ups, 8% change ups, 12%, 1%. Like he stopped throwing the change up. And then in this game, he threw the change up. 28 times he threw it as much as he threw his fastball um and then on the other side uh charlie morton like he made him he made his bones as like a four seam guy right like he used to be a two seam guy and then he went to ask the astros and they're like no four seam and curve and that that's all you need um he like threw the sinker a ton today um and so I, i feel like uh i wonder if and you never get anybody to admit this, but I wonder if pitchers that like, you know, think about the postseason or like think about six starts from now, they're like, hmm, six starts from now, I'm going to see this team again. Today, I'm going to use a bunch of changeups to, to, just to F with them. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I listened to the radio broadcast for the Rays for a while because I love mm-hmm. Dave and Andy, and they were just stunned with the way McCullers was pitching. They were like, there's no rhyme or reason to the game plan he's totally unpredictable and mm-hmm. that that clearly similar to uh game one with valdez a little bit that clearly seems to be houston's playbook here against the rays is to totally abandon what you have done in the past which sounds insane but it's worked that's and what bauer lost. said when we did the breaking codebreaker thing he said the only thing you can do against a team that that is this well prepared is to not do anything you've ever done before He's like, I, you know, I threw pitches to Michael Brantley that I have never thrown Michael Brantley. And I faced him like X amount of times. But I was like, you know what? He's not prepared for this because 
I've never done this before. <laughs> right. Didn't you say he had a, a change-up, change-up sequence against him or something? He had some yes. combination he'd never even thrown before to Brantley that was really odd. And and he did something similar to Springer, too, where he threw a 3-2 change-up. Uh, and Springer tried to swing out of his – he thought it was a fastball. He swung out of his shoes, and he looked back at Bauer like, what the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because, you know, Bauer doesn't throw that many change-ups. To throw it on 3-2 is just crazy talk. So, yeah, I, I think there was a little bit of like, let's just be erratic and crazy and nobody can sit on any one pitch. And it really worked uh, for McCullers. It's a beautiful curveball. Yeah, I mean, you look at the whiff numbers. Uh, we mentioned CSW. I think that was on yesterday's pod that you brought that up. The called strikes plus whiffs. 50% on the knuckle curve, 36% on the changeup, 33% on the cutters he was throwing. I mean, just outstanding across the board. You, again, mm-hmm. couldn't ask for more. I'm thinking about arsenals, though, and you've talked a lot on this show about the importance of having a third pitch or even a fourth pitch and how much that adds. How difficult is it to take those pitches away and then dust them off in a game situation. If you are trying to play <laughs> chess over multiple matchups, you're trying to kind of steer the advanced scouting in the wrong direction by taking a few things away. Is it really that easy to just go back to no. something? You got to work out it on gonna, the side basically to have it ready to go. It's going to get you in trouble eventually, you know, like, uh, like just with the Bauer changeup. Like if, if Springer hadn't swung, it probably wouldn't have been, it probably would have been a walk because he doesn't command that changeup well, because he doesn't throw very much. So, yeah, and I think the the thing with with McCullers too is the same thing. Like he can't command the changeup very much, so usually he doesn't use it. But either he had good command of it today, or they were just swinging a lot. Let's see what we what the answer is on that. By the way, uh, I'm looking at the Rays bullpen usage, and it was Pete Fairbanks who went two behind Charlie Morton. That was kind of a big deal. They went loop for two outs. Uh, they went Ryan Thompson for one, and then it was. Nick Anderson, not himself. That was the only sort of, uh, you know, the door is slightly ajar moment yeah. for the Rays. Their defense was outstanding across the board today. Adamus was really good. Yeah. yeah. Which is why, if you're the Astros, you're kind of like, what else can we do? Like, did you guys see, mm-hmm. like, Springer in the ninth, the bases loaded, hits the ball right on the nose, and it's a double play? I mean, mm-hmm. well, if you're the Astros, like, it's almost tougher to regroup from these than from total blowouts because you feel like uh, you could have very very easily have been up 2-0. The Rays haven't hit. Kind of lost Dude. in all this is that the Rays haven't really hit at all. Um, and again, they're, they're just now sitting very pretty. And it seems like, I don't know if the bullpen is just that terrific or if every move Kevin Cash makes, if he's just really, really good at roster management uh, with this bullpen. But it... To me, it just seems like Tampa Bay, Houston's going to have a real hard time toppling them now. I mean, for Derek's prediction to come true, we're going to have to see some crazy, crazy stuff go down. And it has happened before. It's not unprecedented. But you look at those seven-game series, when a team falls behind the 2-0, it, it really seems to be the sucker punch, um, which is why, to me, tonight's game was so important for the Braves to kind of be able to topple the Dodgers because... That's going to be a seven-game series, I think. Even if the Dodgers win, I think Atlanta tonight by winning that game five to one surprised a lot of people. Though it really shouldn't be a surprise, right? They're they're not this like smoke show, right? They're 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 not a a, a cheap mirror parlor trick. They're a really good team. 
No, they're legit, and they absolutely belong in there. There's one more thing in this Houston game I want to mention. Alex Bregman may have had the best 0 for 5 I've ever seen. He had five hard-hit balls. Five. Dude, he averaged yes. like 101. That's a great point. That's insane oh to hit the ball that hard five times and come away with nothing. And you see it in the XBA column. Uh, the Astros, of course, had 10 hits in the game, only scored the two runs. They had a 357 XBA today. The Rays had a 167. So sometimes it just doesn't Randy fall Rosarena your way. Randy had three hard hits. And two hits. <laughs> and I don't know. Yeah, it was a tough night for them. Even uh, Dusty afterwards said, you know, we had a lot of hard hits according to StatCast, but, you know, there's not a lot of time for those to start hitting, start dropping in. So Dusty said that? 2020 Dusty rules. He's, he's the best version of Dusty yet. Yeah. StatCast yeah. Dusty. Yeah. He also referenced Camus. So I heard. Oh God! Yeah, some people geeking out about that. It's been. I uh, love him. It's been quite the quite the turnaround. (laughs) But uh, again, Astros and six. I've never been wrong about anything in the postseason ever. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Let's move on to that Braves-Dodgers <laughs> matchup, though. As you said, Britt, really important for the Braves to get off to a good start. We've mentioned the starting pitching matchups. The further into the series you go, the more that favors the Dodgers. The Braves got exactly what they needed from Max Freed. I think it's helping Atlanta, and it's helped really each team that's faced Walker Buehler so far that he's clearly dealing with some command issues as a result of that blister problem on his hand, right? He's still walking a lot of guys, and the pitch count gets run up. He was out after five, struck out seven, but walked five, only allowed one run. It was the solo home run in the first inning to Freddie Freeman, but for Walker Buehler to only go five, it opened the door for that bullpen a little bit sooner, and they answered the call. Brewster Gratterall came in, pitched well. Dustin May loaded the bases and left. Victor Gonzalez got a huge strikeout. That was a big moment to kind of keep the Dodgers in it. But then it was Blake Trinan who got roughed up. Austin Riley led off that inning with a home run. Braves tacked down a few more in that inning as well. And it's just unfamiliar territory. We've said this a few times. It's the situation that for years the Dodgers would have turned to Kenley Jansen, right? Home team, tie game. Jansen would have been the guy. You come win the game in the bottom of the inning, game over. And who was going to get that call was a big question. Trinan is absolutely deserving. He is a high-quality reliever, and I think he just made a couple of mistakes, and the Braves punished him for it. I don't really know if there's much more of an explanation than that. Yeah, I mean, it seems too early to kind of just go out and bash the bullpen already, right? Because you're right, he's the guy. My issue, if you're the Dodgers, is you scored one run, and you're going to have to do better than that. Atlanta, they were lucky, as you mentioned, DVR, 
they were lucky Atlanta didn't have more than one run early on. I mean, it was kind of like the case with Houston. A lot of hard hit balls, a lot of base runners on all day. Atlanta just seemed like it was only a matter of time before their offense scored again. Uh, the Dodgers never, never really seemed that way, I guess. Um, uh, especially when you get to that bullpen, uh, you're seeing how good that Braves bullpen is. Yes, the Dodgers have some good relievers, but the Braves, the depth of that bullpen, and, you know, we, we spoke with Dave O'Brien, the, the Braves writer earlier today. He's been covering the Braves forever. And, and he said, you know, I've never seen a bullpen for Atlanta this deep. And I think it, watching him, you know, you have to agree. It, they've got so many guys who can come out there and shut the door. I loved how Melanson caught that home run in the bullpen, then goes out and gets the win. Um, I just think they're a fun, <laughs> excitable team. You see Azuna doing the, the gestures and, uh, you know, they're just a really fun team. They're not the Padres. Uh, but let's make no mistake. There's a lot of energy and a lot of spirit and a lot of fun watching Atlanta play the game. I think. Even if this game had continued one to one for several innings, it was really only a match. It was set up for Atlanta to win, and they had to win this game. That was my impression too. As the as you were kind of you got you got Chris Martin, Will Smith, Mark Melanson, and you know you're kind of doing the like you you're trying to play along and be like who comes next, you know? And like you're like oh Darren O'Day and this and that, you know. Um, once Br- Dustin May came out, you realized. I think that from usage patterns, you can kind of realize how much the Dodgers or and or the manager, Dave Roberts, trust their bullpen. Because if they trusted their bullpen more, Dustin May would start because you could use him to start because there are no off days and you need you need you need a starter in four or five, right? So now what you've done is you said, no, May is a reliever for us and we need him. And so we got Gratterall, May, Victor Gonzalez. That's the A team, right? You got the Dodgers A team and they did well. Although I will also point out, Bruiser Gratterall came on to face the bottom of the order. I don't know why you they, they felt they needed to use Gratterall to get Nick Marcakis out, but they did. Um, and uh, then you use Dustin May, you use Victor Gonzalez. That's the A-team. Uh, Trinan comes on. He's part of the A-team, but that's it. You know, that's the end of the A-team, when you if you ask me. You know, the, like Jake McGee wasn't used in the postseason before this. And we saw why, kind of. I mean, you know, I, I think that he was walking a, a fine line this year. And then the generally, on top of that, I think usage helps you kind of realize who the good relievers are. Because otherwise, we're talking about a 60-game sample. You know, we're talking about, uh, you know, people being optioned up and down, people being injured, people being healthy and then not healthy. So looking at like a full-season bullpen number and saying, oh, the Dodgers were fourth best in strikeouts minus walks. That's great. They have a really healthy organization with a lot of guys they can bring up and down. And that doesn't mean that they really trust more than four guys. I would say they trust the four guys they used tonight and not many more. And if this has gone another inning and, and, and trying and had shut the door, somebody else would have given up uh, the next run. Uh, that's just how I saw it. I think Jake McGee is kind of important for them, though. I, I think if you look back at the regular season, he had a 41.8% strikeout rate, which is just outstanding. It was the highest on the team by a decent margin. He kept the walks under control throughout the regular Bilo, season as Bilo well. was the best of his career almost. Yeah, he, he came back and had a very... Like resurgent sort of season. So he's an important piece for them because they don't have that depth and he could come through. But what I think we're 
maybe overlooking with the Dodgers bullpen or some people are overlooking is that for all the guys they have who come in and throw hard, they don't miss that many bats. The K rates are so much lower than you'd think with this group. I mean, you go to yep. uh, a guy like Joe Kelly, throws hard, 21.4% K rate. Not that good. Blake Trinan throws hard, 20.6% back in the regular season. Even Dustin Average May, who now, we like. Yeah. Average is like 22 yeah, it's just like that's nothing special, especially for the stuff that these guys bring to the table. Gratterall, 14.8% in the regular season. That one's even more puzzling than May. Like, I know the fastball is pretty straight, but how is he not missing more bats than that? Like, contact's going to come back to bite you. We, we talked about how important making contact was earlier on in the postseason. There were a lot of teams with high strikeout rates as lineups. It did not treat those teams well moving through the first couple rounds of the postseason. You know, the Rays have been an exception to that. If you're allowing a lot of balls in play in the late innings, bad things can and will happen to you. I think that's where the chink in the armor for me is with this Dodgers bullpen not being overpowering. They have good results, but they don't do it in a way that just keeps teams completely quiet. Yeah, that's a good point. Also, it's that fine line of, of error, right? Like that fine margin. Nobody can be off because they don't have enough bodies. Like Eno was saying, they trust these four guys. Well, guess what? The Rays trust like six or seven. So they're throwing a party when Charlie Morton and Blake Snell go five innings. Yes, five. Yeah, exactly. But with Walker yeah. Bueller, it's like, wait a second. We're not set up for you to go five innings. We need you to go more than that. The Dodgers are not set up that way. It's really interesting when I when you sort by K minus BB you 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 get the Dodgers high, but it's because they had the best walk rate in baseball. It's not because they had the best strikeout rate. In fact, they had the thirteenth best strikeout rate as a, as a bullpen, and it was kind of a run a homer suppression play. I think that is one thing that you do miss when you talk about Gratterall, Trinan, uh, and the group. You they should suppress homers because they have this lateral movement. They have the high velocity. They should suppress homers, and they did in, in the regular season. And so maybe that's the play. But I think when you get to the postseason, you're talking about the very best hitters, um, and you're talking about that that fine line that Britt's talking about. You know, the, the, just like that one thing that can go wrong. And today for Trinan, it was leaving the sinker up maybe four inches, five inches uh, with, over where he wanted it to be. Um, and, uh, and that was it. That was it for the game. Riley, though... You know, he kind of strikes me as almost like a future Ray because everyone's going to think about his negative parts, you know, not that great defensively, you know, uh, not that great walk rate, um, you know, like there's question marks about him. I think the Rays, uh, the Braves were smart to hold on to him. There were talk, there was all these rumors that he was in in talks for, like we were sending him on this podcast, we were sending him to Cleveland to to get them a starter. Um, and, and maybe the Braves are right to hold on to him because he has that sound, as I said on Twitter today. He has that, uh, you know, there was a famously we were at a, a, a future, not a future stars, game, Arizona Fall League game where there was a hitting group with Ronald Acuna Jr., Austin Riley, and um, the, uh, the Red Sox second baseman. Chavis. Chavis, Michael Chavis. And yes, these three guys aren't going to the Hall of Fame. Necessarily, maybe one is. It's probably not Chavis. <laughs> sorry, well, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> so um, <mean>. anyway, <laughs> that was yeah. Sorry. Totally unprovoked. He's <laughs> totally unprovoked. I, Somewhere you lost I'm mad the about listener. Some- I'm mad about some fantasy stuff, I guess. Um, but anyway, uh, they had the sound, man. Like we, were, you could turn around and and just hear uh, the exit velocity coming off their bat. So 
Um, that's that's what people saw today i think riley definitely has that sound well speaking of the sound how much money is azuna gonna make as a free agent this year i mean his bat just stays in the zone for he just always seems to deliver right like i'll be honest they had a really cool slow-mo where it looked like his bat was like you know level through the zone the whole way on the double yeah like i'll be honest i did not watch the braves for a large chunk of time because i cover the nationals and you, you can only watch one game at once a lot of the time but like this postseason um it just seems like he constantly dials it up right like he he gives them big at bats he's just like a, a he he's just this terrific he kind of reminds me a little bit of nelson cruz and that like how old is he really does anyone really know he's an older guy or right? <laughs> like but he just always seems to give them these at bats and freddie freeman i know that he gets a lot of attention but it just doesn't seem like he gets enough attention as to how good he truly is right like i know this year was this big you know, NL MVP push. Um, but I think when you watch him and you watch what he brings to that Braves team, uh, he, he's so clearly the leader of, like I said, a really fun, talented, ridiculously deep lineup uh, that I was kind of disappointed tonight watching the Dodgers because I was kind of looking forward to these at-bats from both of these lineups, you know, seeing a lot of of really good hitters, a lot of really good battles and i felt like the dodgers lineup and obviously credit to max freed and the bullpen with atlanta uh but the dodgers lineup is gonna have to wake up here a little bit because if they do have this fine line for their relief pitching then they're going to have to start scoring runs and they're going i mean clayton kershaw this year in the postseason has been great and they're going how frustrating would it be if all of a sudden the Dodgers offensive woes their demons of playoffs past come back here at the most inopportune moment I'm a a little bit less worried for the Dodgers as I was say after the game one for the Astros because you know so much went right for the Astros and this one you went toe-to-toe with Max Freed their ace their ace you know and there is a a sizable drop-off I think even to Ian Anderson as much as Ian Anderson can be uh looks like he's good like there's still you know, the question of how much the league has adjusted back to him, how much um, the Dodgers may have, you know, spotted what they can do. There might be some game plan that can get to Ian Anderson uh, that hasn't been, that hasn't, that hasn't been shown yet. So there's that. And then it get, I'd say Kyle Wright is going to have a hard time against the Dodgers. I think in the zoom today, uh, we kind of gave them Kyle Wright. I would not give them Kyle Wright. I would say uh, the Dodgers are very heavily favored to win games threes and four. So if they win the next one, they could be up three, one you know, by game five. So I, I, I'm not going to shut the book on the Dodgers just because uh, Jake McGee and Blake trying to weren't great tonight and the the offense didn't get going. I think, you know, the Braves show their a team in terms of pitching. They're going to have to show B and C eventually. And um, I think the Dodgers will come through on that. That's one thing I agreed with Pedro Mora. He's just like this depth, the, the, the guys 20 through 28 on this roster are better than anybody else in baseball. And I I think that's probably true. The Rays might, might have an argument with similar depth, but you know that's the kind of thing that the Dodgers do: star power plus that awesome depth. On what other team would Gavin Lux not be on the LCS roster? <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous depth. It's a good point. look at Kike, man. You Kike is like Kike seems like an afterthought when you think about the Dodgers, and he comes in and hits a big home run. I mean, he just keeps you know rushing against lefties. I know statistically, lefty mashers aren't necessarily backed up by the numbers. I know that's a contention that our friend Dirk Hardy makes all the time. 
Yeah, but he's good enough that if you give him the extra lefty boost, yes, there is a platoon boost. So mm-hmm. he's good enough normally that if you give him a little bit of a lefty boost, he's a good hitter that can play any position and gives you this awesome versatility where you're just like, oh, we're going to move this guy here, here, here. Taylor comes in and this guy moves here. And, you know, like it's uh, it's pretty awesome to have a guy that can he's played. I think he played nine positions uh, one year. And he was sort of like a, like a tertiary piece in some massive trade. He played eight. I think he threw one year. He threw off the mound one year, so he did eight. He can do pretty much everything. It's uh, it's a nice piece to have, and the Dodgers have a couple guys like that. Uh, one other thought here, if the Dodgers get into some trouble, if, if Kershaw's pitch count gets run up, what's the plan? I mean, do you run a lot of the same relievers out there in game two? Dustin May, probably you back off him for two and come back with him at some point in three like, what's the sort of desperation level if things don't go as expected with Kershaw getting deep into the start in game two? Well, you'll see Joe Kelly tomorrow, won't you? <laughs> oh, man. Nobody Am I supposed to, to look Kelly. forward to that? <laughs> oh, you, oh, you, you asked. <laughs> he has great stuff. No, I, I, I do wonder. I think that the uh, in case of emergency break glass uh, situation is Tony Gonsolin. But if you use Tony Gonsolin, then you use Tony Gonsolin and Dustin May, and you have three starting pitchers. That means a bullpen day, and all of a sudden you've seeded your advantage in game four. Right. So, I mean, it's important for Kershaw to get deep into the start and to take some of the I mean, pressure deep, off like the pen based on the other games. Deep, like five or six. Yeah. Well, not yeah, not yeah, five, yeah. though. They can't absorb another five-inning start. I don't think they're built like that. He needs to go six. It would be rough. I would say at least it, six. Looking at the other matchup real quick, Yarbrough versus Urquidy is the uh, the Rays-Astros matchup. The game times tomorrow, today, Tuesday, are just absurd. We have a, a 6.05 Eastern and an 8.40 Eastern, and the Dodgers are playing in the early game? What happened? Did somebody make a spreadsheet error and then hit send, and they're like, well, that's what we said we're doing, so let's Are they doing. repeating the error by doing that again for game four? Yes. Why couldn't they oh. keep it the same? Is, so is Yarbrough, is he an opener? Are they using him as an opener tomorrow, you know? Do you know? Is it like some sort of punishment for the Rays <laughs> for using uh, an opener in the postseason? Right. They're like, oh, well, this. I would assume Yarbrough just goes, you know, three, four, five innings, whatever he's able to do effectively. Five. Jeez. If he goes five innings again, then the Astros are all done. If he cruises through five innings, then they get another five inning start from a team that used more innings this year from their bullpen than from their starting rotation. Uh, it really is all coming up yeah. Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, this this, tam- this this game should favor the Astros, right? Urquidy's better than Yarbrough, no? Yeah, yes. Yeah. I think Normally, so. he would be. This year, <laughs> he just hasn't been. He just hasn't quite been the same guy we saw That's last true. year. That's he true. He had the COVID, and, but he, I thought he didn't. The COVID. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he missed a lot of time, don't get me into Don't get me into my nicknames for it. I, I heard he lay those on you. But uh, late in the eve, late in the season, he well, he had a good start to to finish. His last three starts, he had 14 strikeouts in 20 innings. Uh, yeah, I guess that's not great, but he didn't he didn't give up a bunch of runs or anything. 76 and 79 pitches in uh, his postseason starts so far, so should hopefully for their sake go about five or so. I think that's a pretty even pitching matchup. Yarbrough and Urquidy, obviously Kershaw versus Anderson. Hard not to pick Kershaw in that spot, but a great test for Ian Anderson, who uh, has borne the brunt of the Braves not really being tested to this point in the postseason. Uh, any other thoughts from you guys, either on the games we saw on Monday or the games we're about to see on Tuesday? 
These are going to be great series. I think we said that after we saw one game, but now that we've seen three, uh, you could say with a little more certainty that these are these are going to be really good series. If you like baseball, this has been a really fun postseason, and it is not disappointing. It always kind of sucks when you get to the, these big rounds, and all of a sudden you got a team that's way better than another team, and I don't think that's the case here. Even though the Astros are down, like we said, they very easily could have been up 2-0, so... You know, I hope that we get a little more of a series and that Tampa Bay doesn't run away with this, you know. I expect the Dodgers and Astros to win tomorrow and and uh, reflect, better reflect, like you said, the closeness of these series. Uh, also wanted to pimp something. I got a piece coming out tomorrow. Uh, Randy Rosarena, the Randy Rosarena experience. Uh, it's got some fun stuff in it, but it also gets at the question of like how sustainable this is. Uh, because it is a hot run, but I don't think it's like Cody Ross or Marco <laughs> Scudero or, you know, wow. uh, Eddie Perez had this one NLCS that was just legendary. But um, I, I think it, there's something that's really cool that I found about the way his strengths line up with what the league's trying to do. Um, so uh, I'll leave a little intrigue on the table. I'm going to show a little thigh, but not all. And uh, hopefully you like my combination of heat maps and, and sexual uh, innuendo and sexual innuendo. Maybe that'll get a sub out of you, but uh, if not a sub, at least a rise. So you're going to show us the lower third of a heat map in an article about Randy Rosarena tomorrow on The Athletic. All right. We, we all got that to look forward to. It's $1 a month, theathletic.com slash it's rates and barrels. It's $1 for the rest of the heat map. <laughs> for the rest of the thigh. One dollar yeah. for the first heat map and one dollar for each additional heat map. Those were the days. Uh, I'm looking forward to the games on Tuesday. Uh, if you're enjoying this show on a platform that allows you to rate and review it, please take a moment to do that. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, we did confirm my dad does not listen to the show. I didn't get a text from him today. <laughs> yeah, so. No, mine neither. <laughs> he was nowhere to be found. So, uh, yeah, there's always next week. And I think I'm going to bring back another round of trivia for you guys on the Wednesday episode. Try to raise a little more money for charity if you want to see what that's all about. I've got the tweet pinned on my Twitter page, at Derek Van Riper, trying to raise some money for the American Cancer Society. October, of course, is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So, as always, you can reach us via email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. On Twitter, she's at Britt underscore Giroli. He's at Eno Saris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.